0: Theatrical Shenanigans with
1: Chris Plumridge.
0: Greetings and hello once again. Welcome to episode 7 of Theatrical Shenanigans, and I am thrilled that you come along to join us. For anyone out there thinking, who is this strange voice? I am your host, Rachel Feeney Williams, and Theatrical Shenanigans was my answer to bring a spotlight to some amazing playwrights across the world. Every fortnight on this show there is a new audio play to listen to and then we discuss it. I say we because I am joined each week by a guest. So far I've had a wonderful array of people through performers, directors, playwrights and producers. So this week I thought I'd continue that tradition. My guest this week is someone I've known for about a year or so since his curiosity or possibly a stint of madness brought him to the literary and discourse play readings. Since then, the speed at which his career and collection of fabulous work has grown is just remarkable. He is a wonderful playwright and performer. He is Christopher Plumbridge. Welcome, Chris. Hi there, thank you. (laughs) So my guest so far, you're probably the newest to the world of playwriting, um, at least, but you've been a performer for a lot longer. Is that right?
1: Yeah, I've been acting since I was about 20, Um, hated drama at school, but got into panto after school, Um, been sort of acting on and off since, and then just got into writing a bit later.
0: It's remarkable how many people kind of hate the classical side of drama at school, sort of Shakespeare and and Pinter and that kind of thing, but then when they leave school and are allowed to do it, you know, of their own volition and in their own spare time, it suddenly becomes an actual passion.
1: In my case, it's quite different. At school, we had a teacher who put me off drama and I took up French instead, (laughs) which is quite a mistake.
0: (laughs) It's an interesting um, alternative to drama, is French. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Yeah. So, um, no, I I got back into it afterwards. My dad was always into drama and he got me into Mm. the And then from there, it sort of went on and on and on.
0: As with all my writer guests, I always ask, what made you put pen to paper and enter the wonderful world of playwriting?
1: I've been writing short stories for a few years um, and poetry before then. Um, In the short stories, I seem to favour dialogue Mm -hmm. a lot more. And being an actor and director, it sort of made sense to perhaps try my hand at scripts instead. Yeah. And so I had a couple of short stories that I converted into plays um, and they turned out really well and I was pleased. And since then, I've just been writing scripts, really. It's become an obsession.
0: Yeah, you've written loads as i have. i've only known you for a year or so but the amount of work that has exploded onto new play exchange over the last year has just been incredible
1: certainly yeah. i mean i i think when i met you i had about two or three to put on there
0: mm-hmm. and now
1: i've got about 24 so yeah. it's um it, it has worked well and I'm, I'm doing some monologues as well and yeah getting lots of support from other writers on new play exchange has been incredibly valuable to me so it's um yeah, a lot of inspiration has come from there.
0: I oh, mean, yeah, so you've you've done obviously so much in such a short space of time. Do you have a singular standout moment for yourself as a as a playwright?
1: Um, I'm not sure. I think I'm just waiting for that now. <laughs> I'm at that point where I'm waiting for that to happen. To be honest, I need to promote my work and to get it out there, and to to then hopefully that moment will come as a playwright. But to 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 get someone to uh, to produce my work on stage, hopefully somewhere local, and I can get to see it. I think that would be the crowning moment. That's why That's why I do this.
0: But you, in amongst all your um, amazing pieces, you gave birth, so to speak, to um, an interesting character who has spawned so many monologues. And I'm resisting saying much more because I, w- I want you to talk about it because it's, it's so brilliantly done.
1: When I was writing short stories, I was on a, another Facebook group and one of their prompts was a picture of a teddy bear in a cot.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And it had a shaft of light coming across it. And that was the prompt. It was just it was just that picture, in black and white. And I thought to myself, the first thing that came to mind was, that's a vampire teddy bear. And that shaft <laughs> of light is going to destroy it. Oh, so yeah. within about two seconds of seeing the picture, that's what came into my head. So maybe that's how my mind works. And then um, I wrote a short story on it, which became a monologue. Mm-hmm. Um, it's called The Bear Crib of Doom. Um, so from there, it seemed to, people seemed to um, latch onto it and really liked the character. So I decided to develop it more and gave him a, um, a background story where he was um, made in Frankfurt during the First World War. Mm. So that then became The, the Bare Beginnings, which has now become a cartoon um, that I've released on YouTube, which I'm really proud of. So as a writer, that's probably my crowning moment at the moment, to answer your earlier question. Yeah. Um, so yeah, and I've written uh, three more since and I've got a few more ideas as well lined up for him. So he's quite a funny character. He's full of himself.
0: Having watched the cartoon on YouTube, it's so fantastically done. I, I believe you've been told by quite a few people that he should be his own cartoon.
1: Definitely, and, and if anyone out there wants to develop that, that's great. <laughs> <laughs> um.
0: So what comes next for you? What-
1: um, I, I want to do, as you say, a couple more of the Bear series. Um. I have a longer play that I want to develop into a full-length because I think it's strong enough to do that. Um, Mm -hmm. It's called The Disappearance of Greta. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: Um, It's probably my favourite work. So um, I'd like to develop that. Um, I have other ideas as well, but um, really probably to promote the work that I've done so far is my my next aim, to to promote into festivals and put my work out there and see if people pick it up. And As I say, if someone can produce it, that would be amazing.
0: I very much doubt this is the the kind of the last we've heard of you. We know who you are now. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. No problem. Sounded quite sinister then. (laughs) (laughs) So now that we know about Chris and of course you know about me, I'm going to talk about the playwright whose work we're here to listen to. Paul Smith is a British playwright with an amazing career which started over 50 years ago when he was at secondary school. Like a lot of writers, he took to writing plays for his local amateur dramatic society when living in London. Paul has also had an extensive career as a performer and director, including playing Bottom in A Midsummer Night's Dream at Shakespeare's Globe in London, which to me sounds like an incredible experience. Paul is also an avid runner. Having run his first marathon at the age of 40 in 2013 and run several since, he's running it again next year. It all sounds just exhausting. It was this experience that inspired him to write the play we're here to listen to. The piece tells the story of Nathan and Elise, both on a coach to London discussing the upcoming London Marathon. You'll see the character of Nathan is well prepared and has read all the advice and tips, but when it comes down to it, he's reminded it's all about putting one foot in front of the other. Theatrical Shenanigans presents One Foot in Front of the Other by Paul Smith.
3: These coaches take ages, don't they? I'm sorry? Coaches. <laughs> Not been on one for years. Not since I was a kid. Take ages. Train is quicker. Too expensive. Even with my card. I prefer road travel. Bit cramped. do worry I might stiffen up, you know what I mean? I certainly do. Still, be there soon. London. Be there. <laughs> don't go very often. Nor do
2: I. Exciting, isn't it? Well, yeah, it will be good.
3: I can't wait.
2: Are you visiting people? Nah. Well,
3: I will see some friends at some point, but that's not why I'm going. London Marathon. This weekend, I'm running first time.
2: Ah, that's good. Well done. I'm buzzing. I'm sure you are. Have you been training hard? And some. I should be at my
3: peak... Been following the guru of marathon running, Craig Matters, and his lifestyle immersion regime. Diet and exercise in perfect harmony. His motto is, life is a marathon, not a sprint. Embrace it. Good, eh? (laughs) No alcohol, of course. Not that I drink much. Might do after, you know. Celebrate. No sweets, chocolate, biscuits, cakes, puddings, chips.
2: Oh dear, that's all a bit dreary. I love chocolate. Me too.
3: But if Craig says no, then I ain't going anywhere near it. I see. Been going to a mentor for a while as well. Using visualization techniques really helps. What do you visualize? Crossing that line, the, the crowds, the cheers, the glory, the medal, gold, Olympic glory. That, you know, that kind of thing.
2: Ah, I see. Yes. I'm sure that must help. So this is your first marathon, is it?
3: You bet. Done 10Ks and a couple of halves, but they don't really cut it, do they? Got to do the daddy. Got to do the proper thing. Got to do London. Everyone wants to do London, don't they? It seems very popular. Hundreds of thousands enter the ballot, you know. I mean, millions. Got lucky first time. Got a place. Not a charity place. Got one straight off.
2: Are you raising funds for a charity? Sure. granddad has got dementia in a
3: home. Helping them. Nearly got 300. Well, 50 quid short. Wow, well, that's very good. Helps with motivation. So important. Got my playlist sorted. That helps too.
2: Playlist?
3: On my phone. Got my buds. I'm, I'm ready to rock. That sounds like it. Got my gels, my ibuprofen... My body rub, my breathable socks, blister plasters, knee support.
2: Goodness me, you have a lot of
3: things. Mustn't leave anything to chance. I'm sure you won't. Got my Garmin watch, my Strava app at the ready, backup phone battery, jelly beans, uh, hand gel, porridge pot, deep heat, Vaseline, sticking plaster, and water bottle.
2: Have you got your running shoes? What? Your running shoes. Hope you haven't forgotten the really important things.
3: Oh, yeah. No, (laughs) not forgotten my beauties. 250 quid's worth of pure athletic engineering.
2: Those are expensive.
3: No point in putting anything to chance. Get the best I say. Yes, I see. These are aching. Hold on. You see, what you have to understand about running is that it's, it's a mental game. Non-runners don't really get this. Sorry, I mean, you can have all the equipment you like, and believe me, I have. (laughs) But if you can't cut it in your brain box, then you're finished. That's what all the sports scientists say, and believe me, I have read the lot. My mentor says you can never read enough about the sport you love. This is my Bible. The one I was telling you about. Marathon Matters by Craig Matters. He's the boss, he really is. Got three more books and some of the top mags too. Runner's World.
2: Will you have time to read them all before Sunday?
3: Nah, just cramming. You know, like before an exam, revising. We'll be doing it right up to the last minute while waiting at the red start. (laughs) Got to be up with it all. Ah. But at the end of the day, when all's said and done, you have to take control. You have to dictate your progression. If you don't follow your training regime, that's up to you. Fail to prepare. Prepare to fail. Why it's words in one so young? Thanks. <laughs> My philosophy, that. I mean, sorry, not bragging. But I know what I'm talking about here. Having the right mindset and trigger phrases in your head will prove essential as I enter the mall. The cheering crowds... Medal weighting, goodie bag, high tech Breathable wicking t-shirt Well, nice prizes Of course, I don't do it for the medal Well, maybe I do A medal is a nice thing to own I have a few now From the 10Ks and so on Got them hanging from the light in my bedroom The jangle Sound <laughs> makes me feel good Feel happy Motivates me Inspiring Yep I'm Nathan, by the way.
2: Good to meet you, Nathan.
3: Funny. We've we've been chatting for a while now.
2: We have. I'm Elise.
3: Nice to meet you too, Elise. So what will you be getting up to in London? Similar to you. Er uh, yeah. <laughs> but I'm running the London Marathon. Are you going to watch to
2: support someone? Yes, I am as a matter of fact. My granddaughter's running. Her first time. Like you. She's so excited.
3: I just know that feeling.
2: I'm meeting her at the registration event later today.
3: Yep, yeah, I'll be there too. Get that precious running number. We'll make it all seem real then, won't it? <laughs> when it's pinned to your chest. It certainly does. Hope your granddaughter's been stocking up on her car intake in preparation for the big day. Past the party later? Been tapering, has she? <laughs> I'm sorry. Reducing the number of practice miles in the last few weeks.
2: All that, yes. Maybe. I'm not sure.
3: Well, they always say you should taper wisely. You never run the full distance before the actual event, you know. Not good for you. That's the advice I give to new runners. I did a 20-miler three weeks ago. I've been tapering ever since. You sound like you're completely ready. Well, I'm all keyed up. So I'll need to do some mindfulness exercises to help me relax. I have some aromatherapy oils to soothe me to sleep before the day and good selection of herbal teas.
2: Not a fan of those. I just like plain tea bags. Yorkshire. You should try some. Vanilla and chamomile. It really helps. Well, maybe I'll try some on Saturday night. No,
3: I meant for your granddaughter. She'll be the one who needs to relax. You can relax all day while you wait for her to come past. (laughs) Lots of coffee in case you fall asleep. Oh, I won't be asleep. No, I'm sure you won't. The crowd will keep you awake, making a huge noise, especially when I come past. Do you have any
2: family watching out
3: for you? Not as such. Mum said she might watch it on TV, but she isn't sure. She said there's no point in trying to pick me out on all the thousands of people. They could have come, Mum and Dad. Decided it was too much like hard work. I said, I'm the one doing the hard work. Never mind. Their loss. They can see the medal when I get back home. That's a real pity. Support is so
2: important.
3: It's okay. Got my name on my running vest. People do that these days, so the crowd can shout your name out.
2: Yes, I know. Sally has her name on hers, I believe.
3: Good. But if she hasn't got it done, I think you can get it sorted at the I'll let her know. And if you see me, you can give me a shout too.
2: I will do, if I see
3: you. That's cool. Be nice to see a friendly face in the crowd. Where are you likely to be? I'd avoid Tower Bridge and the Cutty Sark, if I were you. Gets incredibly cramped. Canary Wharf can be a bit mad too, or so I've been told.
2: Yes, my daughter said she was going to avoid those places as well. You might be near the start and then go ahead to near the end. Yes,
3: well, just make sure you're not caught up in the big crowds. You've got to take care. You should get one of those folding chairs in case your legs get tired.
2: Oh, My legs are bound to get tired. And my feet. Probably the rest of me too.
3: Hey, <laughs> You don't sound like you're going to last the day.
2: Ooh, I'll be okay.
3: My back is hurting and my legs have gone to sleep. Just be a moment. Got to keep the blood pumping. Activate the endorphins. Balance the chi.
2: Does that feel better?
3: You bet. You'll be as stiff as a board when you get up. Do you want to do some stretches? No,
2: it's okay. You live with the aches and pains every day when you're my age.
3: Well, make sure your daughter picks a place you wear. There's plenty of room for you to sit if you need to. I won't sit. Shame you can't have one of those seats in the stand at the very end of the run. <laughs> right in front of Buckingham Palace. But they keep those for celebrities, I think. Or maybe the Queen. She can watch from her house, though. That would be nice.
2: Don't worry, I'll be fine.
3: Good to hear it. Your granddaughter will be lucky to have such support.
2: Well, you'll have mine too. Thanks. It's good to know that there are people who are rooting for you on the day. As you said, a friendly face. I'll see a number on Sunday, I'm sure. Lots of family there for Sally? Some, yes. And her friends. Fit girl, is she? Well, she is running a marathon, so, yes. Here's a photo of her.
3: Wow, yes, she is fit. She got a boyfriend.
2: I don't actually know. Maybe. I'll ask her. Let me know, eh? (laughs) Ah, I think I see what you mean by fit now.
3: Sorry, bit cheesy.
2: No, don't worry. She is fit in the other way too. Hoping to do well. Will your friend be there to see you? Maybe,
3: but they'll probably get in one of the pubs that open early. By the time I get to the finish, they'll be off their faces.
2: What a pity.
3: It's okay, I don't care.
2: Your motivation ideas will be all the more important to you.
3: As I said, don't leave anything to chance.
2: Sally takes her inspiration from Paula Radcliffe.
3: Yeah? Heard of her, I think.
2: Oh, wonderful runner. Used to have the world record for a woman. Two hours, fifteen and something, I think.
3: Wow, that's quick. Might take me a little longer.
2: Never won the Olympic marathon. Shame. Women didn't have their own marathon in the Olympics until 1984. It's not that long ago when you think about it. Times have changed. You're right. When I was growing up, there weren't many women long-distant runners around to really admire. The only one I knew about was Violet Piercy. She set the first women's marathon record in the 1920s. Three hours, 40 minutes and 22 seconds, if my memory serves.
3: Wow. You know your stuff.
2: I did a project about her at school. Somehow the details stuck with me. I was telling Sally about her the other day.
3: Well, if I can do about 3.30, I'll be pleased.
2: You can only do your best.
3: Well, I am going to do that. I promise you. I'm sure you will. Maybe I'll see you at the end of the run if you're waiting for Sally.
2: That would be lovely. I'd like to know how you get on. But I won't be going home for a week or so. I'm staying with my daughter. It's my birthday on Monday. Oh, cool. <laughs> Is it a big one? They're all bigger my age. I'll be 82.
3: Wow. Yes, that is a big one. Well, you don't look your age.
2: <laughs> oh, you flatterer. That's kind of you.
3: A little behind you. We're 23 here. I'm staying the night in a travel lodge. Coach back tomorrow afternoon.
2: Where's the hotel?
3: Somewhere near Waterloo, I think.
2: Okay, why don't you take my phone number and you can send me a text. Maybe we'll see you at the end. Thanks,
3: Elise. That'd be really cool. Uh, But good to meet Sally, too. Maybe, if you're a good boy. Always good me.
2: Of course you are.
3: Thanks for that. I'll ping you when I finish on Sunday. Excellent.
2: Well, looks like we're just coming into the coach station. Yeah,
3: at last.
2: Chatting with you has made the whole journey that bit more bearable. Sure has. Whatever happens on Sunday, just remember that running a marathon is, at the most basic level... Just putting one foot in front of t'other a lot of times, you'll be fine.
3: Never really thought about it that way. But you're right. Reckon that's the simple way to look at it. My mind is jumbled with all the stuff I've read and been told. Suddenly you've just made it all seem so much more straightforward. Thank you, Elise. (laughs) My new guru.
2: Why, I don't know about that.
3: Well, see you, I hope. Me too. Uh, you drop these. For Sally.
2: No, just for me. For Sunday. Number 13522. Two. Bread start too. It's my 50th marathon, this one. Good luck, Nathan. Text me.
0: I could almost see Nathan's jaw dropping at that brilliantly timed revelation. That was Fiona Leishman as Elise and Robert Knowles as Nathan with one foot in front of the other by Paul Smith. So, Chris, first impressions, first thoughts?
1: I really enjoyed it. Um, I, I, I found um, Nathan was in the nicest way. He wasn't being selfish. He, he was so wrapped up in his own preparations and, and determination to do well. He would put so much effort into it that I think he perhaps wasn't really listening to her.
0: I um, did find myself annoyed by Nathan initially but I think that's more for personal reasons because of the fact that he is a serious runner and I've never understood how people can get excited by the idea of running just listening to him talk about all the running he's done and all the preparation he's done just made me feel tired listening to him so I don't know about you
1: well I'm, I've done a bit of running in the past um, I've never run a full marathon um I haven't got the legs for it um <laughs> but um I've run the Great North Run five times. So I get into sort of the mindset of, you know, what it, the preparation was putting into it. I, I can buy into what he was saying. Mm. And I know the author is a, is a great runner, so I can mm. see it, it's a passion of his as well.
0: Yes, yeah. it's It's got a wonderful balance of comedy, but also the heartfelt moments as you almost discover the characters as you go through it. Because, Nathan, while you've said he's a little bit kind of full of himself and he's a little bit busy with what he's doing but the more you listen to him the more you kind of feel for him because he's just a young guy trying to do this incredibly hard thing and no one in his life seems to care because he talks about his his parents not being there and his friends just being in the pub and I think there's nothing more discouraging in my mind to, to go and do this thing and know there is no one out there supporting you.
1: Certainly um, I I, I did um feel that as well uh, when I did uh, the the Great North Island, it is obviously in Newcastle, and I'm from Essex, mm. so it's a five and a half hour drive. And yeah. to, to have anyone actually want to come and support me, it's it's maybe the main problem is they they don't want to go all the way up to Newcastle. Yeah, <laughs> I can certainly feel for Nathan that yeah, perhaps his friends or family didn't just didn't really want to be there.
0: Mm. I think that's why mm. it, it, what makes it so lovely that Elise does kind of take him under her wing as such an offer to look out for him I mean obviously it's because of the experience she has even though Nathan doesn't know that um so he just sees this kind of this sweet old lady but then you have that like mic drop moment at the end which was just perfectly timed um for me
1: definitely yeah it was a sweet ending so yeah it's um it's
0: nice I think for me it, at it's heart, it's a piece that shows how much um one person can have an effect on your life because in my mind um after it had finished and, you know, once Nathan had actually recovered from what Helisa um, just said to him, he sort of got off the coach and went to his hotel and, you know, actually thought about her advice. And I imagine that that kind of pushed him forward and egged him on and got him through it. Um, do you think they'll have met up after? Because I know they made plans to.
1: You'd like to think it would,
0: mm. Despite not being a runner and never wanting to be a runner to that level, I have so much respect for those that do complete this huge achievement um, and Paul's created a, a piece that provides like humour and the heartfelt moments. And I suppose it kind of educates people on about running because, say, Nathan obviously talks on and on about um, his gurus and the advice he's been given and all it comes down to is this one sentence from Elise is about just putting one foot in front of the other, which I just think is beautifully simple but wonderfully constructed.
1: Definitely. It, it is about your minds and how when you actually do the run, how you how you take that one foot in front of the other. And it's a mental battle.
0: Because everyone has their own different, I say, visualisations and mantras and that kind of thing that get them get them through it. Um, I don't think anyone kind of approaches the, the start line and goes, I'm going to run a marathon today. <laughs> That's all they've got <laughs> yeah. in their head. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah.
0: Well, time has run away with us and we are almost at the end of the show. Chris, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me today. It's been an absolute pleasure having you here.
1: Thank you very much. And yeah, it's been a pleasure for me too. And it's a great play. So I I enjoyed listening to it and and reading it. Very good.
0: Moving onwards and upwards though, I hope you'll be able to join me again in a fortnight for our eighth episode. In the meantime, I've been Rachel Feeney-Williams. This is Theatrical Shenanigans, bringing down the curtain and saying, I hope you can join us next time. Theatrical Shenanigans was an RFW scripts production with music written and produced by Chris Cody.